Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. This episode today is really fun for me. This is a spine surgeon by the name of Dan Posley. Dan, how are you? I'm great, Mitch. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing wonderful. This is, this is a really fun episode for me because uh, obviously I work in the health field. I do spine. Exactly. Uh, you are my go-to surgeon for a plethora of different reasons. Truth Talks, we run stories of real-life, real people. And how you became an orthopedic surgeon is an incredibly amazing story. A lot of perseverance, a lot of open kimono with you. You just tell the story as it is. And what's funny is when I heard of you for the first time, when I met you for the first time, all I heard was there's this great surgeon. So I obviously had the stereotypical uh, guy went to Yale and, you know, (laughs) sips tea and all that shit or whatever. And then come to find out your story. It was just absolutely amazing. So I kind of want to start from the top okay. or the bottom, wherever it goes. Uh, just like we talked about in the past, tell people how you became an orthopedic spine surgeon because it is quite an interesting journey. Right. So first, let's talk about this. What is an orthopedic spine surgeon? It is the highest paid blue collar worker in the world, <laughs> right? Because right. what are we doing? It's nuts and bolts. There's a lot of physicality to it. It's about finding a problem and fixing it, right? It's, it's different than other parts of medicine. You know, sure, we have diagnosis and differential diagnosis and testing and things like that, but the esoteric things uh, are not uh, the same as other specialties, right? Yes. You know, there's when people say, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I see a bone, I fix it, right? There's some reality to that, right? So for me, it started way back. I never wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pro athlete, just like every other kid in the block, right? (laughs) We're in Chicago. Which, by the way, let me stop you right there, because you know what? It's true. When you go into a surgery, it looks like you're going into an Ace Hardware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Screwdrivers, hammers, tables, nuts. You name it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right, I had to throw that in there. All right, go way back. All right, so I grew up in Chicago. I go to college in high school, C average, college, C average. So I'm average, right? So I go to college. I get real deep into cycling, like Tour de France type thing, right? I got a good buddy who says, hey, man, if you really want to make this, you should move to Europe. Okay, check. Let's move to Europe. So make some connections. This is the late 90s, early 90s. Internet's new. Um, I reach out to a few people and make some connections. No guy who knows a guy's situation. I meet this wonderful couple, uh, uh, Bernard Nan, uh, Mormon, and Duchess Swan, Bernard Mormon. They live in Belgium. Um, I talked to the guy on the phone one time. And I moved there, <laughs> right? Just so I have a platform to do my racing. Right. First day I'm there, my mom sends me a telegram. Call home immediately. No emergency. She calls home. I call home. What's going on? Hey, you just moved to the other side of the world. Actually, are these people insane? Or what's happening? No, so far, they're good. They ended up being most beautiful people. I live with them for three years. They really did so much more for me than cycling, right? I really grew as a person over there. Come to find out, I'm not the next Lance Armstrong. <laughs> So I got to move home and get a real job, right? I mean, sure, maybe I was double A, triple A, but it was never something I was going to make a ton of money at. Yeah. I mean, even to get to that point, there were, there were so many challenges along the way. It's just like failure after failure after failure. One of the funny stories we have when I was a freshman in college, so I live with a guy uh, in the dorms who I went to high school with. So we go there. He's actually studying. I'm just trying to look at the girls and party and do all these things. Little did I know that the university sends a progress report halfway through the year 
to whoever's paying the bill. So the deal in our family was, we'll pay for the tuition. You got everything else. Okay? I worked, saved the money. My mom calls me about Thanksgiving, <laughs> first year. How's things going? Yeah, great. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah? Is that right? Tell me about it. Ah, you know, things are good. You know, then Justin. And she's like, wow, that's funny because I got this progress report. It says you got three Fs, one D, and one C. And I'm just immediately sweating my ass off. Did you tell her, but I can bong a beer in less than two seconds? <laughs> no, no. Come on, man. Come on. I went to college, too. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's a lot of that. So she's like, uh, I got one thing for you. Do you have a pen and paper? So yeah, I got a pen and paper. She said, I just wanted to write this number down. And it was the number to Stafford Loans because she was cutting me off at that point. <laughs> I still didn't get it. I graduate with average grades. You know, uh, you know, it was just, I never really found that thing. I yeah. was just kind of swimming along, like just hanging with the boys, riding my bike and not really sure what I wanted, you know. My roommate, this guy, is a professional editor for movies, uh, podcasts. Guy's true professional. He went to college. He knew what he was doing. He went there for a reason. Yeah. I went to college because everyone else is going to college. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, I moved to Belgium. I'm racing. I'm getting better and better. Uh, I come home to Chicago and live with my mom during the winters. Uh, jobs, waiting tables, bartending, you name it, to make money, right? Um, I ended up going back there three years. I was improving every year, every year. And then uh, Bernard was we was trying to tell me, like, hey, man, you're getting to be that age, whether you're going to make it or not. Is this your dream? He really helped guide me through that process, yeah. right? So anyway, it doesn't work out, right? So I'm crushed. <laughs> it's like you literally, I still feel bad about it, you know, that I never made that. I move home, move home with my mom, got like $37 to my name. I have nothing. Right? So then I say, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a carpenter. That's a good job. Right? So my mom's like, all right, start looking for jobs. Looking for jobs, can't really find anything. I find a guy, Scott Simpson Builders, I'll never forget. Come in and we'll do an interview. The guy could probably tell him the first two minutes. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? He pulls out a speed square and says, what's this? I'm like, ah, it's a triangle. <laughs> He's like, what's that for? I'm like, ah. I knew I was screwed at this point. Like, you know, measuring, you know, just doing these things. He's like, get out of here. <laughs> Two weeks later, guy calls me back. Come on back in. Let's talk. So he'll hire me at this point. Bucks at 11 bucks an hour. You can stomp down the dumpster. You can move the ladders. You can sweep, put the plywood on the roof. So I do that. Yeah, it's good. All right. Telling the girls, telling my mom, I'm going to be a carpenter. <laughs> There's no journeyman program. There's nothing. You know, my brother's journey was a journeyman electrician, so I had no idea what I was doing. And it's just this, this thing you'll see in my story again and again. I had no idea what I was doing. I just was like, okay, we'll just try it. Right? I mean, I just moved to Belgium. Didn't know the language. Didn't know anybody. Yeah. So year goes by. I do my first winter as a quote-unquote carpenter outside, freezing in my car hearts, begging for coffee breaks in my car. You know what I mean? And I realized, like, man, this is not this is not it. And so what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go to grad school, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm going to apply to grad school. Hard part for me, I had a C average. Almost all uh, science-based or physiology-based programs, they say B average just to apply. Right. I apply, get shut down by everybody. So I'm like, well, 
I'll try to go there at Benedictine University. It's outside of Chicago. I'll try to convince some people. Can you imagine them looking at that, though? They're like, really, guy? I mean, what, what's going on here? He, I mean, he <laughs> took the meeting. <laughs> he took the meeting. Mom probably called and be like, hey, nah, can you nah, please nah, take nah. this my meeting? Mom, think about it. My mom's awesome. She's first generation in this country. There was no sugarcoat. <laughs> oh, you're cold? Put a sweater on. You're hungry? Make a sandwich. Right. I love it you know, There's no, like, uh, hand-holding, right? Right. So, uh, where was I? Well, you're right where your mom, she, you're, 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 the, you apply, and you, you're going to go back, and you're like, uh, hey, you got to give me a chance here. Oh, yeah. You got C's. All right. So, I go to this guy. I said, hey, you got to give me a chance. Uh, you know, I know I didn't get a B average, but, you know, I've done all these things. He said, hey. I don't question your motivation. I think, personally, you're motivated. I just don't think you're smart enough. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, sir. Drive on. Just then a couple weeks go by. I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm kind of freaking out. Yeah. So I go back. I just wait outside his office. Guy, Peter Healy. He's from New Zealand. I said, sir, listen. I'm paying you. I'll pay you cash. I'm paying this university. Let me take one class. If I get an A, let me take another. He says, okay, I'll let you do it. I get an A, I get a second A in the program, I graduate top of the class, right? Pretty yeah. cool. Then Very I got cool. a ton of motivation from that too. Because for me in my life, what did I really succeed at? That I took, I could take risks. Yeah, yeah but so can every 22-year-old guy, right? Right. So I have a physiology degree. I get a job. I'm working at a cardiology office doing stress testing. I'm in the office doing, uh, you know, like if you get a, uh, if you have a heart problem, you run a treadmill. I'm your guy. Right. Right? It's great. I loved it. Meet with the patients, run 5, 10, 12 minutes, talking with them, bullshitting with them. I love the patient interaction. I'm like, man, that's pretty fun. Work four tens a week. I'm living with my brother down in Old Town in Chicago. If any of these people have ever been there, and you're single, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Good it's place. A, it's a good place to be with your brother, your partner in crime, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> So a couple years go by, and I'm just like, I'm just kind of, maybe this is my life. Then one of the cardiologists I work with, Diane Wallace, says, ah, you should think about going to med school. Med school? What are you talking about? I'm 29 years old. Too old for that. And she's looking at me like I'm the biggest idiot in the world. <laughs> she can see this, right? I'm, I right. haven't seen this at this point. And so she's like, just take a test. See what happens. All right. Take my first practice test, I fall asleep during the test. It's an eight-hour test. <laughs> Fell asleep. So then I take this practice program and do all this stuff, take tests, do okay, go to the interviews. That's where I think I got into my personality and my perseverance. Yeah. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I got in. So my mom, I'll never forget. I was driving on the Eisenhower in Chicago to the city, back to my apartment. I called my mom. I got in. She started bawling. It was awesome, man. You yeah. know, it's just that feeling of accomplishment. She was so proud. And next words were, though, so how do you think you're going to pay for this? <laughs> I was like, huh. Yeah, I guess this is hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> right? <laughs> so luckily, uh, the military has a program. If you apply for it, there's about 200, 250 uh, scholarships a year where, you know, they do their due diligence, make sure that you're going to actually make it, you're going to accept into a program. I go to this guy, a recruiter. I just go straight recruiter, right? Big army mustache. <laughs> guy looks like he was from Vietnam or something. 
and he's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll hook this up. Uh, what do you think you want to do? Uh, you know, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, uh, that I want to do orthopedics. And, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll make this happen, all those things. And uh, all lies. <laughs> That's all I can say. And so, I, but I did get the scholarship. Yeah. So now I'm starting to see it. Like, man, I got in, right? And then they can never really take that away. I can only mess it up. Yeah. That totally, that switch for, there was a big switch that went off for me. Like, all right, well, this is something that could really happen for me, right? Were you committed at that point? Now this is what you're going to do. Then I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm you're in. committed. I'm all in. Yeah. Right? I got to owe the Army uh, five years for, four or five years for a residency. I got to then pay back more time after that. So what year was this? So this is 2003. Oh, wait a minute. No. Yeah, 2003. So the war is hot. Yeah. And people are like, what are you doing? Joining the military? You crazy? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, don't worry about that. Nothing's going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I get deployed for a year later on, right? Right. So, I mean, there's just so many layers to it. There's much more to it. Like, all those years that I was building up to that, millions of jobs, waiting tables, mowing lawns, painting houses. I had, a, I had a business, I actually handed out flyers called Dan's Decorations, right? <laughs> yeah, you think it's funny, but it's real. That's what, this is actually why I love you, and I'm going to recap that when we're done. Right. Um, and it's really helped me more than ever now. Unfortunately, yeah. what happens in medicine a lot of times is people are very intelligent. They do all the right things where I wasn't doing that. They get good grades. They go to great school. They get good grades. They get the tests. They get into their wherever, their college medical school of choice, and they do well. And to be honest with you, I'm super jealous of it because it's been way easier to do it that way. <laughs> right? I mean, I went to med school when I was 30. Everyone in the room's 24, you know, 23. Yeah. And so there was one guy in our class who was older than me, and we called him Blue, you know, from like old school, <laughs> yeah. that old guy. But he's only older than me by like three months. So thank God that I wasn't Blue. But, you know, we had a world, we had a, we lived, we had jobs, we did things. Yeah. You know, we had people tell us we were terrible. We did a bad job, right? Yeah. You show up to work, you know, you're 19 years old or 20 years old, you're late. And you, you, ah, my dog ate it. I got parked in. My alarm didn't go off. Right. And the yeah. guy's just calling BS to that. Right. So you understand how most of your patients are living their lives. Right. That's why Absolutely. I think it's super important. Right. So, so then I joined the army. So I joined the army, right? And then I have to get into orthopedics, which for me was that was the probably the steepest road, because there's a lot of West Point graduates, Air Force Academy, Annapolis, Ivy League connected people. I am like the slug, <laughs> right? But what I did have on my side is I said I'm gonna show up every day earlier than they tell me, stay later than they want me to, never complain. I mean, there's, I say this to people. I say this to my kids. There's two things I've never been, cold and tired. Yeah. Right? Because you act like that and you really believe it, you can do way more than you can think. There's all these motivational speakers. You've had them on your, your uh, on Truth Talks, yeah. right? Seals, you know, these super machismo alpha male guys, it's the same thing. Yeah. And you see that, and it, it's not just the Seals that do that. There's single parents. You got doctors. You got 
people like you guys just pushing the limits of what you can do, right? And I was starting to learn that along the way. So I get to San Antonio, and I'm around these guys first time. You can see it. You can, they, they, they walk different. They act different. They've been deployed. They've been to West Point, And I was just like a C-average student waiting <laughs> tables. <laughs> but you see the reality, right? You yeah. know, there's some people who come from perfect families and pedigree. I had people say that to me. Pedigree is important. I'm like, oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm never going to make it, right? But then you start to see, like, you start to operate with them. You start to be around them. You see their holes. You see the things that, oh, they got some issues too. They're not perfect. That maybe this is not reality. Yeah. Right? I'm 46 years old now. I know it was never reality, right? <laughs> that, was, that was their show. That's what they were putting out there. Yeah. And there's legit people and there's not, right? So, and there was a lot of legit people there. Absolutely. Almost all of them, I would say. They were stepping up in the time of war and they didn't have to. Right? Yeah. So I go there. I've never been to army installation in my life. I go to the, I went to the barber. I said, give me a high and tight. He's like, you sure? I'm like, yep. My hair was like it is now, right? <laughs> it, was, it was high and tight. And then I just got in the car and drove to San Antonio. Okay? Get all the way there. Stay at the Days Inn right outside San Antonio the first night. Get up the next morning. Car stolen. Gone. <laughs> All my uniforms that I've never worn. So whatever. There's little setbacks in life. I show up. It's fine. I buy new uniforms. I get there. We do basic training. It's no big deal. Then I start doing these rotations. I go to Walter Reed. I go to Madigan, which is in Seattle. I go to San Antonio. I mean, and you are around people. You're, you know, when I was at Walter Reed, you're seeing generals walking around. And I'm like, ooh. This, yeah, I can't Walter believe Reed's I, where the president went. I can't even believe I'm there. Right, right. I, I just cannot. I cannot believe I'm even there. And I start thinking like, this is what I always wanted when I raced my bike to be around pros. They're true pros, right? So I just went above and beyond anything they ever asked me. Never complained. We stay up all night on call. What I, and you know, you have a plaster all over you to reduce all these fractures. Instead of taking a nap, I'll go take a shower and change my scrubs because I look fresh. Yeah. Everyone's like, man, he must not be tired. Yeah, I was... was, Never cold, never tired. Never cold, never tired, right? So it was just that mentality that it's not something I created. I just started to believe in it, right? And just started growing and growing and growing. And then I got into that residency program. It was amazing. Um, The thing about the Army when you train in the military versus private practice, you show up the morning and party every day, that's your place of duty. There's 35 other people there. All the lights are pointing at you. You've been up all night. You're talking about the consults, and they are just grilling you. They're trying to break you. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, there may be a time I was broken. I wouldn't admit <laughs> it on any public forum, but it, <laughs> not here. It was real. Yeah. But it was unbelievable training. And then since I was older, when it, when I was chief resident, I went to the colonel and said, "Yeah, I'm looking. I was in Texas, and I'm looking to move to a new duty station. You know, I don't really want to be in Texas. I want to see the world." And he's like, "Well, if you uh, if you deploy first, then maybe we can make something happen." But that meant almost a year long deployment in Afghanistan and Helmand, where I was in charge, just like that. Here you go, you're in charge, <laughs> and that was. We talked about that, and that's wicked stuff. You saw some oh, really man. painful stuff professionally. It was unbelievable. Personally, it was terrible. 
Yeah. Right? And the guy's driving the road, the leg's blown off, and I'm the guy. Right? So that's tough, man. I mean, I still deal with that now. I mean, there's a lot of things that I wish could have gone better only because the injuries were so bad. Right? Yeah. People died, man, and it was terrible. And I, I'm not so sure I totally believed in our whole mission at that time. It was 2013, 2014. But that's what I signed up to do. I got to do my part, and we saved a lot of people. Uh, but now, as it's funny. When I look at it now, I'm in private practice, right? That maybe this whole time, all these issues, all these challenges, all these jobs, the deployment was training for now, right? Because now, when people come to my office, like, oh, man, I was in Vietnam. I got Agent Orange. I can't get an erection because of Agent Orange. Do you think you do my back surgery? Maybe better. It just helps me talk to people. Oh, man. When, when, yeah. As I come back and I'm going to clean this story up and hit the highlights of it, you just ex exactly explained what it was like. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I met you, right? right. Obviously, you know the story, but uh, for our listeners, they don't. But no, it, what is funny about that is, you know, you name specific people along the way. Mm -hmm. If any one of those are out of the picture, does this happen? The other thing we do with True Talks, it's all about giving people hope and encouragement. No matter what you go through, it's there. And so I'll, I'll start from the top and kind of come back for just a little bit. But when Dan put, when I got introduced to Dan Posley, I got introduced to Dan Posley because I do a lot of spine. I see a lot of people. And the thing in my practice was always, if I can't fix you, I'm going to get you to someone who can. And so I believed, and I do have more than one orthopedic surgeon friend. Of course, of course. And I believe surgery is the ultimate. And I believe that I'm going, even if I didn't like your personality, knowing that you're the best, that's where I'm sending. Uh, we, we may have to have some problems. And you know how you and I talk against sure. one another. But, but all I heard was how good you were, how good you were, how good you were. So then I took the initiative, okay, that's going to be my guy. Not only that, but we were in pretty close proximity, which made it nice for the right. patient. So I contacted you. Probably different than some people do. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> I'm like, listen, got no time for bullshit. These are my people. Can you do a good job? And I want to make sure I know who you are. Right. I scheduled a meeting. We went out. We, we sat and had this conversation. And I really didn't give two shits about what school you went to because I already knew you were good, right? Yeah. But when you told me the story that you just told me with, before, I'm a firm believer in this, man, that your pathway leads you exactly to where you're at today. And all I knew is this was this great surgeon close to me, and I wanted to get my patients into you. But then when I heard the story of how you became that great doc, yeah. all of a sudden everything started to make sense because patients were coming back to me and saying, I really like this guy. It's like, this guy gets me. Like, this guy understands. And I say it all the time, and kind of half-joking, maybe not half-joking, a lot of surgeons are just some weird dudes, right? They're these really uber smart guys, but none of that experience that we talk about. Right. And we go and we have this two-hour conversation. We didn't even break the surface. We're still on biking or hunting or whatever right. it is. Right. <clears throat> I do believe 100% of what you just said, that all of this preparation up till now is what made you a great surgeon. Yeah. yeah. Probably as much as your training. I think so, too. I mean, no matter what school you go to, the books are still the same. Same okay, book. still the same book. I would say that, number one. Two, data is only as good as its interpretation, 
right? And there, I'll tell you, there's some real genius people out there that can interpret this and are pushing the scientific method and our practices forward. That may or may not be me, right? Yeah. But what I would tell you is the application of it, you only, you do it your way, I do it my way. All the people who trained me did it their way, right? And so you have to find your own way. And just because you go to med school doesn't mean you're not a jerk. Right. Okay. So a lot of that has to do with your background before med school. It's just actually a small portion of your life, right? Yeah. I tell people all the time, I got a good mom. If my mom knew I was treating someone, she'd reach through the phone from Chicago and just <laughs> strangle the death out of me, right? And that's reality, yeah. right? So when I see patients, I have to just treat them like I'm waiting tables or you know they're my neighbor or whatever. That's all they want right? They don't need me to come down from my tower behind the curtain and say, oh, you need surgery. You don't need surgery. Surgery, no surgery. You know what I mean? That's not how this works, right? It's conversation. I know it may sound a little cliche. I just let them talk. Go ahead. Yeah. Start talking. My, so my wife, also physician, no one cries in her office, right? I get multiple people crying in my office every day. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't do spine surgery. This is orthopedics. Like, why are people crying? But the reality is, is the pain screws up your life, right? It, it's so true. Um, and and I'll, I'll kind of, I want to back up a little bit too. And just because I have you here in person, I've said it to you before, but, you know, I'm in my craft, right? I wanted to always learn everything I can learn. And so I appreciate you giving me all the time you do when I send you x-rays and I'm like, the hell's that? Right. Or I say, uh, all right, I think this guy needs surgery. If you don't think so, call me back and tell me why. And you've been so gracious. You've always answered my calls. You've always educated me, done everything you could to help me further my practice and everything I do. So I do. I appreciate that dramatically. But I also think it's because you want to do the right thing for the patient. And I almost right. feel like that's becoming a lost art. And so you were kind of the you were kind of the Tom Brady of orthopedic surgeons for me, right? It was like a whole great story and then a great surgeon on top. Yeah, that's people are gonna think we got a bromance or something, but I'm just well, telling you, it's the truth, and I wanted to get that out there. I appreciate it. Thank you. I think that uh, it's about people. In the end, I got a craft. I can apply it when necessary and when not necessary. It's my job to determine who I think I can help and when I can't, right? Spine surgery, that is not a kid's game. It's, as someone told me, living life on the razor's edge. And that guy was an F-16 pilot, okay? Yeah. And he's like, F-16s, a little left, a little right, still got air. Here, in spine surgery, there's no room. That's it. I wake up every, you know, so I do surgery two, three days a week, see clinic. And my wife is always like, uh, so my wife made me buy an aura ring. Right, this thing that how's your sleep? Every Sunday night, my sleep is terrible. I call it Sunday night insomnia night because my biggest cases are on Monday. Yeah, and it's just you're thinking about it and you're worried. It's, you know, it's like doing sports. You're just kind of freaking out and worried, making sure that the plan that you prepared is gonna work. But once I start doing it, then I'm good. I feel much better. Like all right, because I I'm enacting a plan, right? Yeah. Um, but that's my life. It's a weird thing about my life is that it's just like that every week forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, you know what I'm impressed with the most is, you know, when I'm in the OR and I'm, I'm, I'm watching you guys do what you do. 
there is so much responsibility. Oh, like, yeah. unbelievable amounts of responsibility. But I will tell you something that actually is a little bit funny. So, of course, obviously, there's cases that come into me that need your services, right? Sure. And um, I can't tell you how many surgeries I've been in. Myself and the surgeon will walk out, and the family always hugs me. <laughs> no way. Every time. They're like, I'm like, yeah, you know, that guy just cut you open, saved your whole existence. But they're like, oh, thank you so much for referring us here. Because they connect with you. They connect. So this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I think for, you know, I've watched almost all your podcasts, right? Yeah. A big part of Truth Talks is connection. And it's about life. And it's about uh, wading the waters of your life and trying to figure these things out, right? The whole thing on addiction yeah. and all these, all these things, right? It's the same thing in my business, right? So people come see me. They've been thinking about this for weeks. They've been living with this pain for weeks, right? It's messing up their marriage. They're, you know, kicking the dog. Their job sucks. And it's so I have to just laser in on that. And, real, and accept that and realize that, right? But my problem is I'm always late in clinic <laughs> because I just keep getting, I'm just like, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. Right? I've realized now, no one's ever told me this, but it, for me, a spine, being a spine surgeon is like having a second family, right? I'm always on call for my patients. I give so many people my cell phone, yeah. right? It's, my wife's always like, really? <laughs> Who's calling? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, it's Dave. You don't know Dave, but yeah, Dave's calling again. That's fine because bad news, one, bad news doesn't age well, right? If yeah. there's a problem, we got to know about it right now and let's fix it, right? Yeah. And people like that, right? You call a doctor's office, you get 15 calls back. It's not the doctor. It's about that communication. And I'm sure I have problems doing that too because as my practice grows, that you know, I have to find a better way to get a, get a hold of that. But still, when I get you here, you got me, Yeah. right? And we're going to come up with a plan, and it's a plan together. Because the reality is I don't take any of the risks. You, you, you take all the risks, right? Yeah. So I can just guide you of what your risk profile is, if I think I can help you, and then what your expectations are, right? Every once in a while, I'll get like 80-year-old lady, big scoliosis, degenerative scoliosis, big curve, and the sun brings her in. Like, oh, you got to fix my mom's back. She needs surgery. I'm like, no. And I look to the mom and say, well, what are your expectations? Like, what do you want out of this? And she's like, well, I just want to walk my dog. I want to hug my grandkids. That big surgery is not going to make her do that. Yeah. Right? She can already do that. Right? You tell her, go see Harlan. Yeah. Get a little care. <laughs> Harlan will fix you up. You know, do some therapy. Stay away from the pain meds. And that's it. It's just about this risk-benefit analysis throughout their life. Right? I got a veterinarian. He's 88 years old. Guy skis a million vertical feet a year. Yeah. yeah, skis every day, and this is his priority, right? And I would never do surgery on that guy because that could <laughs> only bad things would happen, <laughs> right? Right. So you have to just realize that, right? Yeah, there is a God, and I am not it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with surgery, you, I mean, there it's a, such an intimate thing. You, I have my hands around your spinal cord. Wow, it's such high price real estate, and it's so scary. Respect that. Right? Yes. And these are people's lives. And it's not just them, it's their whole family and generations of their family. That's why that's why I had to have you on the show because you know that is that's the essence of how I practice as well. And and um but there's just not a lot of guys like you. They uh I had a friend of my wife's 
and she's has this radic, right? Radicular nerve pain, pain yeah. down the legs for people who, who may not know. And literally she is at the end of the rope. Like she cannot live like this, right? And I call you on the cell phone and I said, man, I need a name in Arizona. And you happen to know a guy in Arizona. We had her in surgery on that Tuesday. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if he is at quite the level of caring, perhaps maybe that you are. And uh, so she calls me and she's like, should I be having still some of this same leg achiness? I call you. And what do you do? You called her for me. Not a patient of yours, but you called her for me. Oh, I remember. That is unbelievable to me. And, and the fact that I knew you were a great spine surgeon and then just the person that you are, you're a rare bird, my friend. It doesn't happen very often. And I know a whole lot of guys. And, and um, I, I just can't tell you how much that means and how much I appreciate somebody that actually cares that much. And I know as you, obviously people know who you are and you're getting busier and all busy. Sure. But it's still impressive the way you communicate with people, especially guys like me. Uh, she never gave me your cell phone number. I mean, that was Sorry. the worst mistake you could ever make. It's all those texts. <laughs> all those texts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, something else, too. You know, can you not have people answer your phone or text me back? I can't, I can't talk on the phone and do surgery. Same but, we're, but we're buds, and you know I'm going to send some stuff that probably <laughs> other people don't need to read. And, well, yeah, and then I get this back. I'm like, oh, God, I wonder who that was. Man, they probably think I'm an asshole. Over That's here. hilarious. But it's it's just been so much fun hearing that story. And what I also like to do with all the people who listen, you know, there's that guy that's a C student, but he's really an A student. He's not applying himself or herself. Um, maybe maybe sometimes you know what they they're growing up in a family that doesn't support a lot of education, but they want to, sure. and they think they've already screwed up their life by their junior senior year in high school. You're living example. If if you put your mind to it, you decide that's what you're going to do. You can do anything, and you figured out a way to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. You, you had to get past that idea. You weren't going to be a cyclist. I mean, there's just all these great life well, stories. Well, here, here's story. what I tell you. Uh, I think that the hardest part is accepting that not everyone around you, especially the people that love you, are not going to support you. Right? I told my mom when I go to med school. She was like, what the hell? You? <laughs> Meds? What? That's my mom. Yeah. The person who loves me the most. <laughs> right? But that's reality. People are like, no, you know, it's, it's you and your dream. Right? And you have to really baby it and figure it out. And my baby, my little baby that I cared on was to be in the Tour de France and be a pro cyclist. And I spent so many years and so much time and effort and didn't work out. Yeah. Right? And that's going to happen to the listeners. It's going to happen more often than not. True story. So it's not, the key is not like, hey, I'm just going to grind this out and get up earlier and outwork everyone. Not everything's for you. You have to find that thing for you. I'm in my 40s now. It took me to my 40s to figure out that maybe God's gift for me is to do spine surgery. And my whole life, I didn't identify with anything academic, with school. And then I went to school for 27 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hated school. I don't want to school. I want to play. I want to right. be with my buddies. I want to run. I want to you know, do all these things. And it just the higher and higher I got. And now where I'm at now is like, oh, well, maybe, maybe all along that was it. I still feel bad that I didn't make it as a professional. And, and uh, it's whatever. That's, That's why your story resonates with me. I wanted to play baseball for a living. That's all really? I wanted to do. And uh, 
after I don't even know how many knee surgeries, it was like, it's not going to happen for you, son. It's not going to happen. I'll, I'll tell you some fun stories when we're off camera. I don't want to waste uh, all this time to do that. But that's what I wanted to do. And right. I went through a windshield at 70 mile an hour by a drunk driver. And kind of a fun story with that is uh, the orthopedic surgeon. Uh, who still practices today, and I thought he was ancient when he did surgery on me, and that was in 86, and he's still, Thomas Turnbull, he's still practicing today. Wow. Uh, but he was a surgeon did everything, knees, hips, spine, fingers, whatever. He put me all back together, a friend of the family, but I suffered from migraine headaches, and it right. was the worst thing, I mean, it was torture for me. And he golfed with a chiropractor by the name of Bill Miller. And he says, I'm going to bring Bill Miller in here to this hospital, and he's going to crack your neck, he says, because you can't be on these pain meds all the time. And that was my first experience with chiropractic. And he cracked my shit, and let me tell you what, I saw some stars. I thought, oh, man, Mom, I'm coming home. That was right. the end. It was yeah. colorful, like an LSD trip going on, baby. <laughs> two days, next two days, no migraine. And I'm like, wow. bring his ass back. Let's do it again. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, think about, it. Think about chiropractic. You know, like, let's, let's talk about spine and chiropractor, right? Chiropractor is old as the hills. <laughs> right. Okay? We've been operating spines about 100 years. Yeah. Okay? Chiropractor, we're talking thousands <laughs> of years, okay? So let's be respectful to grandpa a little bit <laughs> right. when we're talking about these things. So I think that's important for people to understand is that, and in my world, a lot of the spine surgeons just poo-poo it. Say, oh, God, no, these people, you know, they waste your money, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Not so sure about that. You know, we're talking about things been around for a thousand years. Right. And you also have to realize you don't know everything, right? And in my practice, I'll have patients sometimes say, man, you know, listen, I've done everything I can, right? I may not be your guy. You may need a neurologist. You may need someone else. But I want you to feel better. So go to that person. Go to this person. I tell people all the time, I'm at the end of my rope. And I don't say all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, but it, it does happen, right? You just yeah. got to realize what you can and can't do. Then you have good outcomes, right? Absolutely. Where if you're trying to say like, well, everything's if everything you see is a nail and all you have is a hammer. <laughs> That's right. You're going to move to a new community every five years. <laughs> it's a true story. Right? True story. So oh, there's, there's things out there. Just learn, listen, accept. And I learned more from my patients. I'm sure you've learned so much from your oh, patients over the years. Just astronomical. And, you know, I, I get as many referrals from patients that I send down the road for surgery as I do when I treat them and get them well. Right. And right. That's, the, that's the ticket. That, and that's maybe some of the gray hair stuff we've got. Maybe it's, maybe it's also from the acceptance of things that we wanted to do our whole lives and failed. And, and I wouldn't say failed. Just maybe we weren't at a place where we were able to do that. So we learned I our, say fail. You can. I don't I ever fail. Know. I don't accept I fail. <laughs> right? But what I was trying to do was what 200 guys a year in the world do. Right. Right? It's easier to get in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's okay. I, I'm at a point now where I can accept that. There was years where I, uh, I, I could not accept that. And maybe I did the wrong things. No, I didn't do, didn't do the wrong things. I just didn't do enough. And in the end, maybe I didn't care enough about it. Yeah. To make it happen. That's how I make myself feel better. I say, well, if I cared about it more, I would have just worked harder. But maybe I didn't. It's okay to fail. My, my patients tell me all the time, ah, I did this, I did that, I failed, didn't work out. Now I got this back problem, got this new business, trying to make this work. You know, what do you think? Do I need an injection, therapy, chiropractic treatment? And that's where I think all this experience really helps me. I'm like, all right, listen. I love it then. Right. Because we're like in the huddle. 
It's we're a, like in a friggin' huddle. Our drawn plays in the sand. Like, all right, this is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to make it happen. It doesn't work. Great. Come back. I got B, C, and D for you. Right? Yeah. And then we get to D. That doesn't work. Then I'm not your guy. Right? Yeah. And you got to find someone else. And that honesty, I think, is what is the most important thing. And whatever. I'll always be that way. You're yeah. always gonna, Just like you, you're always going to get me. Yeah. Right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's all it is. Yeah. And I think that's important. It's it's just it's just been a beautiful harmony for me. Of course, we refer everybody up there, and and uh, every case has turned out just absolutely beautiful. Sometimes I think you're a little more conservative than you should be, but uh, well, I'm like, oh, cut them already, man. I'm telling you, this one needs the knife. What are you doing? But I love our... what I said about the razor's edge. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I love our relationship, though. Uh, I cherish it immensely. Not just yeah, for. Being a great spine surgeon, but also just the stories that we share, times we've been out, just just you know the buddy camaraderie thing. But when it comes down to the 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 real deal of surgery for a patient, especially spine, I always know that I'm doing the right thing, getting them into your hands and getting on down that road. And and I, I hope you know that's how much respect I have for what you do. Appreciate it, man. It's yeah. Good. So thank you again for coming on our show, talking about this. We'll circle back around because we've got some all kinds of different projects that we're doing and things that we do but that story is amazing man and and i and i want to leave this podcast with the famous saying that we always hear in chiropractic and here in other different areas of the of the healthcare system is a patient just wants to know that you care no doubt no doubt everyone's got a mom everyone's got a dad if you're telling a patient something that you wouldn't tell your mom because your mom knows you <laughs> that's right and she'll reach through the phone choke the shit out of me right so that's, that's what you have to keep in the back of your mind. Like, you got to treat them right. You do. And so I want to tell everybody, it's Dr. Dan Posley, Cornerstone Orthopedics here in Colorado. And people can come for you. As a matter of fact, if the surgery doesn't quite turn out... Um, oh, I do a ton of revision. I'm yeah. going to be having them come out here and see you, uh, which was the plan when it initially happened. But that pain, and unless you've had spine surgery before, that nerve pain is one of the most wicked pains a person can withstand. And literally, since we got her in on Tuesday, otherwise she was going to somehow get on a plane, get out here and see you. Yeah. Um, That, that pain is just horrific. And you're, I will stand by not only as Dr. Mitch, but truth talks. I mean, we wouldn't bring anybody on here. We did not 100% believe in at, at all cost. So Dan Posley, Cornerstone Orthopedics, Best spine surgeon guy I know. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, it's been great.